Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast, where we are all about cultivating consciousness in the digital age. Let's get going. Welcome everyone to the Nature Unplugged podcast. Uh, I'm super excited for the show today. Um, today we have a very, very special guest, uh, Dr. Lori Sulpizio, who is director of the Conscious Leadership Academy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we jump into it, Lori, uh, I want to give everyone a background on who you are. I'll read your bio and then we'll we'll jump into it. But I'm pumped because this is, I think Lori is the best in terms of uh Leadership stuff, and I've been a mentor of mine for a long time, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Okay, so okay. bye. Are ready for it? Mm-hmm. Dr. Lori Sulpizio is the director of the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego and the founder of the Center for Women's Leadership at USD. Dr. Sulpizio's leadership interests include gender dynamics, specifically women, voice, and power. That's one. Two, okay. application of group relations theory to the practice of leadership and building effective teams. Three, how authenticity and a balanced sense of self leads to effective leadership for developing confidence, mental strength, and team cohesion in athletes. Dr. Sulpizio created the Women in Higher Education Leadership Summit and the Cultivate Conscious Kids program and is committed to creating and designing programs that meet the deeper needs of individuals and organizations. Dr. Sulpizio is a certified leadership coach and a certified practitioner in the Leadership Circle Profile, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, DISC, Firo B, uh, and a certified in Dare to, Dare to Lead, as a certified Dare to Lead facilitator based on the research and work of Dr. Brene Brown, who we're both big fans of. So she believes that using data is a useful first step in helping people begin to realize their leadership potential. She has worked with a variety of companies and, and done presentations and consulting projects for Qualcomm, Radies Children's Hospital, Torrey Pines Bank, SDSU, UCSD, and several San Diego schools. She has published chapters and articles on leadership topics in textbooks, journals, and popular press publications. You're, you've done some tremendous work, and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Good. So I wanted to start with just getting a little sense of your background. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you, you can, like, where did you grow up, and, and how did you mm-hmm. get into being interested in leadership stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So... I was born in LA County, Pasadena. I was born, but I, I consider San Diego my home. I was um, we moved here when I was in uh, third grade, so I was eight, and I remember being super miserable and like so like feeling I was ripped from my friends, you know, my third grade school. But very quickly acclimated to San Diego, um, and I love it here. I mean, I went away to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for my undergrad, and then found my way back and consider San Diego home. So. Um, my leadership journey is an interesting one because I was kind of certain I wanted to be a a basketball coach. Like I knew in high school, I wanted to be an English teacher and a basketball coach, um, and thought it would be at the high school level and then was able to get connected at the community college level right after graduating with my undergrad. And that was just amazing. It was, 
a high enough level where kind of the athletes were, you know, they were competitive. It, it was college, you know, it felt not like high school. One of the main reasons being that the parents couldn't come and kind of talk about playing time. You know, we had football right. rules, so parents couldn't um, come and have a say as much. I really like that. And I like that it wasn't so cutthroat that it wasn't about winning. It was about moving these young women on to the four-year, right? So I right. really felt like our program was designed to be a, kind of a, transitionary stepping stone for them to get their two-year degree and then go on to the four-year and we coach that way right we, we try to win games and do a lot but also really develop these young women so I recognize now that my kind of love of developing kind of young adults and helping people be their best and you know push themselves started there with kind of athletics and um and I entered the PhD program at USD with the thought that I was going to stay coaching for as mm -hmm. long as I could handle the traveling and the intense schedule that coaching kind of brings and then move into athletic directing. Um, and relatively abruptly in uh, 2007, when I was pregnant with my third child, my daughter, um, I walked in, I had a meeting with my athletic director and I was fired. <laughs> Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know Where the story? We, no, 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 no. You were at, at, I was at, about yeah, I was at Mesa College. Okay, got yeah. It. yeah. I was at Mesa College and I was fired. Dang. And, um, it's funny because I look like, I think I, going into the meeting, like I knew there was something, I could feel it. Like I could feel something was up and to give a little context, the past like two years, I really was advocating for some of the gender equity issues that the campus was facing. So random things like, um, the fields weren't equitable for it's not even even that were affecting basketball per se softball versus baseball fields yeah. you know soccer and and but i think one of the one of the key things that was sort of the straw was when we hosted a basketball tournament and um, you know basketball athletes they're they're taller the women are you know they're they're taller we have sometimes anywhere from 12 to 15 women on a team um, and our home hosted tournament in November coincided with the fo home football game often. Oh. And so what happened was the administration, the athletic administration took our women's locker room away and gave it to the visiting football team. Oh, and, uh, I remember showing up one day and there being literally this massive chain and a pad, because we had keys. I mean, the women's staff had keys to our locker room and a padlock on the door so we couldn't get in because, oh you know, gosh. and I think that was the moment where I thought, this is so not okay, yeah. you know, um, and I just can't, probably one of my, one of my uh, liabilities is I can't stay quiet, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and so I pushed and kept pushing for some of these things that weren't okay. And, and unfortunately I was not tenured, so I wasn't, you know, there's not a lot of job security as coaching. And so I was fired. The cool thing about it, what makes the story easier to tell is that the kind of basketball, the women's basketball, specifically the lesbian women's basketball coaching world is a very small one. And, and so it's every people know people. Um, and my kind of the news spread quickly and my case was taken up by three different law firms, two oh, wow. in, uh, from San Francisco, one an employment firm here in San Diego. They took it on pro bono and we sued the AD, the district and the school and won in a, the oh, first wow. ever trial by jury. Yeah. Um, for homophobia, discrimination and title nine retaliation. So it's cool to like have that ending you know, but it still sucked because that was my, you know, I wanted to be a coach. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. 
So meanwhile, I'm in this middle of this PhD program, like had already almost started some of my dissertation kind of research on, ironically, you know, coach athlete compatibility with athletic director, you okay, know, so kind yeah. of there's a lot of irony there. And, um, but I had Cheryl Getz, who's my now very close friend, but who was my um, advisor and mentor and, and she helped steer me. She also had basketball coaching in her past experience and so she helped kind of steer me to a new path and it landed me here so the cool thing is there's not there's not a ton of difference you know I say between like the court and the conference room or you know like yeah. a lot of the leadership you know strategy being your best working as a team like there's a lot of similarity between athletics and just general leadership when you're leading a team administration team an executive team um, so it was a nice, smooth transition. It, it was rough kind of go, personally going from that and kind yeah. of like moving in, but the content transition felt really natural. And the, the focus on women, Title IX, gender equity has always kind of been in my wheelhouse. So that was a natural transition also. Yeah. Um, and I just was super lucky and blessed at USD to have some amazing mentors and folks that believed in the work. So the then Dean Paula Cordero of the School of Leadership and Education Sciences believed in the Center for Women's Leadership and gave me a green light to start it with, you know, and, and so I had, so it was great. I mean, I think having the people that would believe in the work and believe in my ability to move it forward was just kind of a, a lucky privilege, you know, that I had and things were successful. And so it's just continued to move in that direction. So yeah. here I am. That's amazing. And yeah. how, how long have you been at USD now? Yeah, so I started at USD as a student in 2005. Okay, yeah. And since, okay, yeah, well, and slowly transitioned. I think I taught my first course in 2007 and then kind of just was able to take more responsibility, more roles, you know, get more involved, grow my role there. Yeah, yeah. The years. Got it, yeah. got it. And then you are now also director of the Conscious Leadership Academy. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, can you just tell us a little bit about what that's all about, kind of mm -hmm. like the mission and... Yeah, so... Um, the School of Leadership. So USD was the first um, PhD in leadership in the country. Which right. is kind of a cool little bragging rights, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. for the Toreros. And um, we noticed, not me, so I was still so students of other faculty. Some of my mentors noticed that some of the work that we were doing, the leadership work, translated really well to trainings, courses, you know, could be used to go out and, and do what we would call sort of more experiential leadership type um courses, weekend courses, seminars. So they created something called the Leadership Institute, which essentially was the house for sort of the unique courses and workshops. And so they had our, we had a couple weekend conferences, we did some advanced trainings. So anything that wasn't a particular, you know, three unit class towards your degree, yeah. we put in the Leadership Institute and, and just sort of played with it. And, um, and it grew. And I was sort of, as a student at the time, as it was growing and took a, a big interest in the unique methodology of the Leadership Institute, which combined adaptive leadership, which looks at leadership as a practice, you know, not, not a role, but yeah. what you do, not who you are. And then group relations, which really looks at kind of like these unconscious processes and the power of groups in terms of impacting people's behavior. Um, and so there was not a ton of effort put into growing the Leadership Institute because everybody was, they were all faculty members with full-time faculty load. Yeah. Um, but then slowly the momentum, you know, kept growing and people were, were desiring the work, but not necessarily wanting to enter a degree program. So we kept trying to meet that need with workshops, courses, and, um, 
And it sort of evolved to then become now the Conscious Leadership Academy, okay. where we have explicitly kind of, I'm now the director, and we have explicitly have kind of a team and folks dedicated to doing our leadership work, both furthering the research and supporting student research, but more so offering trainings, programs, coaching, you know, leadership development um, that's not necessarily curricular based. So that's what the Conscious Leadership Academy is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And yeah, and is. so open so that's it's yeah, open to the public for a lot of these a lot of this. Yeah, and we're work. we're doing we're trying to grow more. But yeah, we have um let me just give a plug to some of our events. Yeah. Coming up in May, we have our She Experience, a journey to your best self, which is okay. for any women. We've got different tracks. We have a leadership track, a wellness track, an activation track if you wanna learn more about advocacy. Um, we do a Women in Higher Education Leadership Summit, which you mentioned from the bio, which is really cool. And we're now expanding it to, to do work with women in K-12, so K-12 uh, okay. leaders, yeah. which are really excited about that. Um, often we get organizations kind of hire us to come and run a workshop series or you know do some development or facilitate their retreat. So we're, we have our Conscious Kids program that you yeah. mentioned and that we really would love to grow because that's, that's been an amazing program. So we're still small, so we have all these really cool programs, but they're not as scaled as we would like them to be, but right. that's where the work is for us right now. Yeah, it's awesome. And yeah. like a little, uh, I might be slightly biased, but Sonia and I have, have, have <laughs> you know, Lori's been a mentor to both of us and we've done some work with yeah, Conscious Leadership Academy and sure. Cultivate Conscious Kids. And yep. so if you're in the San Diego area or, or elsewhere, mm-hmm. top-notch stuff. So yeah, come check it out. With for top-notch sure. facilitators like <laughs> you and Sonia. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I, I would like to kind of, step back just a little bit because Sonia and I, um, you know, with our work with Nature Unplugged have been more and more looking at this issue from a, from a leadership perspective. Mm -hmm. And I really love kind of the way you talk about leadership and Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of it from you. Um, and so from your perspective and, or the the CLA, like how do you define leadership and what does leadership mean to you? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So I would say I've had the, um, kind of the benefit over the past few months of studying kind of with, with both of my mentors, one being Ron Heifetz at Harvard, right? Yeah. Does adaptive leadership work. And he, they, adaptive leadership defines sort of leadership as mobilizing a group of people to uh, address an adaptive challenge. Right. An adaptive challenge is a problem that doesn't have a clear solution. And one of the examples I'll give is the difference between an adaptive challenge and a technical challenge is something like, you know, a technical challenge, we know the answer. And we could need management. So you know, you're you're in a building and there's a fire um, crisis. We need guidance, but we don't necessarily need leadership. We need protection, direction, order, control. So those are management. We know what needs to happen. We need to get everybody safely out of the building. Right. On the flip side, adaptive challenges. We don't quite know the answer. Um, you know, healthcare issue in the United States, or kind of diversity issues. These are big problems, and everybody has an answer, but we don't necessarily know that there is a one right answer. So they, they're adaptive challenges. And the adaptive part is that we need to change something about either our thought processes, our structures, our policies in order to address this challenge. And that's why these challenges persist, because it's really hard to change kind of those sort of embedded structures, whether they're our personal embedded kind of patterns or our kind of organizational kind of social structures and patterns. So that's one definition. Yeah, is this yeah. idea of adaptive. mobilizing yeah, of a group of folks to address an adaptive challenge. Got it. Um, you mentioned Brene Brown, huge fan. I kind of sort of definitely geek out on all of her work. Um, but she defines leadership as recognizing the potential in people and processes and being willing to hold yourself accountable 
to realize that potential. And so I think both are really great definitions. So I'm, I've been kind of thinking about how I can make my own definition, yeah, but it's yeah. something about, you know, sort of the willingness and accountability of get, helping people get to their best self so yeah. they may address the hardest problems that we face that don't have clear solutions. I think that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks. And and what I love about that is, I mean, I love and sort of hate it too. It's a, is that it, it's like it requires um, facing challenge, facing yeah. difficult stuff, and uh, you know, regardless of the leadership, I think challenge. If you're going into the adaptive work, uh, there's going to be some loss. And but I think that's like more like the, you know, how you mm-hmm. truly make change and yeah. and. Yeah. Yeah, and the cool thing, you know, if we get back to the gender piece with yeah. that definition, actually gender, LGBT, people of color, I think that definition of leadership, those definitions almost provide non-traditional leaders, so essentially the non-white male that's been in, you know, leading armies and kind of running our corporations forever, it provides these other folks access to leadership because now all of a sudden leadership is not a position. Right. Right? It is something that anybody can do. So right. anybody, regardless of color, sexual orientation or gender, can recognize the potential in people and processes and inspire them to be their best to address an adaptive challenge. So the cool thing, I think, with this approach, youth, kids, we can all of a sudden now make leadership more accessible to everybody and start training people to be better at leadership, you know, from kids on to adults. You don't already have to have some corner office with a big window. I mean, yeah. because we know still there's still a certain group of folks that have that position, right? right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden leadership is more widely accessible and hopefully we can get more people, a diverse group of people, you know, better at it so we can address these problems that we're facing. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. And I think that was a big insight, you know, certainly when we did our studies there, that that, that was kind of new to me. I thought it was more like a, a position mm-hmm. versus a, mm-hmm. a practice, mm-hmm. right? And so it's yeah. totally, and that's like, I think a good segue into talking about again, the, the work we've been doing with finding wellness with technology and reconnecting with nature. We were kind of initially focused on youth and now looking at the family unit. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I think a lot of folks think it's just, it's just the kids issue. And, uh, but I think in this definition of leadership, we can empower not just the parents who feel like, you know, they already have the, the sort of the formal power to do that, but also empower, empower every member of that little team to make, yeah. to make changes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll maybe get there to the, the tech part, but I think, us adults are just as addicted and just, it's easy to put it on our kids, right? Yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. can be just as bad at, um, you know, being hooked on our devices. Some of us explicitly on our social media, others kind of in the service of, oh, I'm checking my email, you know, I'm doing work even though, you know, it's 10, 15 at night or on a Sunday, right? So we've really kind of lost the the boundary between, I think sort of giving ourselves our mind freedom, you know, and even some division between work and, and home and leisure time because of these devices that bring everything to us at every moment. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, what I'm just, just shifting a little bit to the, the, to the tech piece. What, um, what have you found to be really helpful for yourself and your family with, or helpful or what have mm-hmm. been some, you know, successes and challenges in terms of managing, your tech use, mm-hmm. my personal one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk. About, yeah, you can talk about personal, and then and then, you know, with the family. It's so hard because I, 
on some, you know, on one level, I pride myself of like not being too roped into social media. Um, and so I'll go long bouts with not looking at it and I'll do other things, but then I do feel like I'm missing out. Like I will then miss on either some stories or somebody will say, Oh, it looks like, you know, one of our friends had such a cool trip to Europe. I'm like, I didn't even know they went to Europe. Like, Oh, it was on Facebook. It was on Instagram. It's like, I haven't been on there to notice, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's tough because there's, there is good content, you know, on there, but I think it is just finding the boundary between how we engage on the devices and, and being honest on if it's serving us and, and what is it serving. Right. Um, so now kind of one, you know, just, I, I have some shows that I watch. Uh, and so one of the things I'm doing now is I'll kind of, I've made an agreement with myself that if I'm going to watch one of my shows on Netflix or whatever, that I need to do be working out. So I'll be sitting oh, on my it. stationary bike or on the elliptical machine and I'll, I'll kind of listen while I do it. Then yeah. it's kind of like, okay, so I'm going to give myself this time to watch the show, but I'm going to get a little movement in at the same time or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'll try to maybe negotiate with myself and kind of make some agreements that way so I can make sure that I'm giving a little bit of, of sort of what I want. Like, so I do want to get my exercise in, but I also enjoy like, you know, watching some of the shows that are out there. Yeah. There's some great so, stuff. Yeah. There is yeah, yeah, some yeah, great yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's one way. And then I do try to, I try, I'm not great at it to like start my day, not with my phone, yeah. you know, like to start my day and I try to, you know, maybe look at my journal instead or get up and do like even five minutes of stretching or just yeah. wake up and stay laying in my bed, but either do a quick meditation. And then I, you know, my, in the service, like, oh, I'm going to grab my phone, check my day on my calendar, make sure I'm right. ready to go. But I try to do that. Um, and I try to maybe take off my Apple watch because then I get the, you know, you get the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, get the yeah. update. So just again, having that boundary to, um, Say like now we're gonna put them away and then I'm gonna give myself time. Yeah, that's sort of what seems to work for me. Yeah. with my kids, it's a whole that's a whole other animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you're you're a parent mm-hmm. and and I, you know, along that lines, like you know, have what have you found to work work well in terms of of the family in regards to mm-hmm. yeah. technology or and yeah. challenges? You know, it's true. So I think it's it's the same thing. It's boundaries, and I think as for as a parent, it's just me really following through. Yeah. Um, so I go, you know, I've got four kiddos and, and of my own and a stepdaughter. So we go in this household from um, 17, 16, 14, 12, and 9. Wow. So we have a range yeah, right, of, yeah. of kids in here. And um, they all have their devices. And, you know, the hard part is when they'll share, but, you know, but look, I'm looking at, you know, the Khan Academy would, or I'm looking at, you know, life hacks for, you know, I don't know, whatever, like yeah. cleaning my bike or my skateboard bearings, which they really are doing that. So yeah. on one hand, it's like they're looking at good stuff. On the other hand, they're still staring at a screen and watching life, you know? And so I've been yeah. trying to tell them like, don't look at someone else, like go do it. Then I want to see you with your skateboard and a wrench and a rag and clean your, be- like, you know, so... I try to, again, it's negotiating with them. If you're going to look at these life hacks and try them, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and we just try to have a time. Like I tried for a while to say, all right, you know, um, I'll give you a one-to-one or a two-to-one. You read, you know, for every minute you read, I'll give you two minutes on your device or every minute, you know, if you, every, so that didn't really work. <laughs> that was a failure. <laughs> but it's just sort of, you know, sometimes I just take them. Well, yeah. you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll take them and say, okay, you figure out what you want to do. 
and we try to have a no technology at the table rule so we're eating dinner and yeah. we talk to each other instead and and you know what's funny is when I get together with friends and that all have like kids, we will take the devices or when we go camping right. and there's no coverage. And honestly, you know, they eventually end up finding the coolest things to do and then report back later like, that was so fun. Oh, I love that. Look at the cool thing we made, yeah. you know? But it's so hard then being back in the, in the home in their regular day to put it down. Right. You know? Right. So I think it's just... All of us helping each other say it's not terribly bad because there is great content, but also let's make sure we're getting outside. Let's make sure we're, you know, reading something or let's make sure we're being creative. Let's make sure we give ourselves time to be bored so we can think about, you know, what we might want to do with our, you know, and let our mind explore something like that. So um, I think that's kind of what works. But I was thinking about this too. It's a very different time because I remember growing up and I grew up in Poway. So it's North County, San Diego here. Right. And we would just go and like roam fields and get on our bikes and go be gone forever, you know, and my mom would ring a bell. And I can't imagine these days, and maybe it's just the media, but thinking about my kids are older now and they were younger, letting them just go roam the neighborhood because you're so afraid like you're going to be on Nancy Grace. Yeah. You know, back there or something, right? Yeah. So. It's a very, it feels like a different time, you know, in terms of, I'm sure every generation is a very different time when I was a kid, <laughs> right. but it does seem that my, you know, it, it takes a lot for me to let them go, even just to our rec center in a very safe neighborhood on their bikes and skateboard and walk by themselves. It's like, stay together, you know, who's got a phone? Yeah. Or I'm thinking, we didn't have anything. We had our bikes. We barely, I don't even know if we had a helmet and we right. would cruise on some lot, you know, right. and wreak havoc. Um, so part of it is, as parents, we don't let them do that. Yeah. So then they fill their time with, you know. Um, Safer thing, like yeah, like, like videos and yeah, stuff. So yeah, so it's the yeah. exchange, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes I'll have to admit, it is easier. If I know I need to get some work done for my nine-year-old, it's like, okay, have some device time. This yeah. is the time. And I, he's quiet, and I can get some work done. Um, but I think it's just a conscious effort to say, we're putting them down. Yeah. You know, they bring a lot of joy and goodness to our lives. Thank goodness for technology. And let's get outside. Let's go yeah. play 202. Let's go on a bike ride, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. I think that's, yeah, right up our alley. And, you know, they, yeah, not anti-tech, but, you mm-hmm. know, finding, right, the intentionality and the mm-hmm. balance there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, you know, this is something we think about a lot. Have you seen this sort of increase in tech use impact your students? Like, I, I know you work mostly with graduate level mm-hmm. students who are probably a little older, but like undergrad or, or, or youth that you work with in, mm-hmm. in athletics, like in terms of, in terms of uh, leadership skills? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, interestingly in general, I think, um, we may be having a harder time connecting with folks face to face. And this is the joke and, you know, you've probably heard it where you have a, four or five teenagers over here sitting in our living room and they're all on their phones, Instagramming, TikToking, Snapchatting, you know, chatting away yeah, and doing it to each other while they're sitting side by side. Right. So nobody's looking at each other. They're looking at their phones, but totally engaged with yeah. each other. But yeah, so I try to not have a ton of judgment around it yeah, and yeah. more be curious like, okay, so this is their new way of engaging. What, you know, what does that mean? And is it getting in the way of their ability to have a good face-to-face conversation? You know, yeah. is it getting in the way of their ability to connect um, with people in the flesh, right? Yeah. And so I think we're still gonna 
we're still learning if the, how much of an impact that has. Um, the other part in terms of leadership skills that you see, and it's indirect, right, a little bit, is um, social media, right? And this idea that everybody's life is, is perfect but mine. This is mm -hmm. for kids. You know, they see, oh, these guys got together and I didn't get invited, you know, and my, my friends had this party and I wasn't invited, so what does that mean? And then it starts, we start to make sense of ourselves through looking at social media and yeah. we even develop shame around certain things. Um, when really we know that it, that is such kind of like, that's just the curtain. You know what I mean? It's like there is a total curtain you could pull back. Yeah. And it's half that stuff isn't even true. It's, right. it's a presentation, right? right? But the perception is there. And so people kind of, I think kids especially, really, their sense of self is, it's harder to develop a strong one, I think, in the age of social media. Yeah. And that does impact leadership down the way. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about this too in terms of like, you know, is the future of leadership going to be, you know, as technology grows much more digital and, mm. you know, I think about like, are, are these skills all going to serve them really well? Like being able to TikTok and, and mm -hmm. Snapchat, you know, I, I'm just my this bias, but I think that the face-to-face the -face stuff is never, you know, is never going to go out of style and mm -hmm. there's, all, there's always going to be a need for it. But it's interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I don't think the face-to-face -face will ever go out of style. Because at the end of the day, I think when everything hits the fan, you know, what do you do? We bring everybody in the same room. You know, you yeah. bring all the, call everybody, you know, massive meeting all together. And so we have to be able to work it out together. Right. Now, maybe we might use social media to facilitate that. So I think their skill in that is is really great. Um, but I don't think it'll replace, yeah. you know. The other danger, I think, with social media is the instant, right? right. The instant gratification. And with leadership effective leadership sometimes it takes time yeah you know you, you this idea of make a quick bold decision like yes and we're learning now maybe we take a little bit of time and reflect maybe we take a little time and be curious and process and question and then make a better decision um, and so I'm I'm interested to see how these kids who are kind of in this age of instantaneous gratification because they can it's right there yeah how are they going to be able to sort of wait you know pause reflect take some time that's just as important for leadership yeah for sure and i think that's a good segue into uh nature time mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. i was curious to hear you know what sort of role nature plays in your own life in terms mm -hmm. of like finding balance or self-care or just mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff yeah you know i think it goes back to um when i was i went to college with the intention to play college basketball and ended up not and immediately I was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is such an amazing town in the Central Coast, and immediately yeah. took up mountain biking, hiking, you know, did, really got involved in um, kind of the outdoor adventures there at Cal Poly, and just, we camped as a kid, so I don't think it was that I fell in love with nature in college, no, because that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, mem my fondest memories of vacations is, is camping, tent camping, um, when we finally took a big RV trip up the coast, like those were my favorite memories with, with my parents and family. Um, so I always had a love of camping and being outside, but, um, it really has continued, you know? And so I think I can see sort of the light, the adventure lifestyle is one I envy and I don't get as much as I would like, you know, yeah. we try to go camping a couple times a year. Um, it's on my list. We're I'm trying to been trying to plan a backpacking trip with a close friend of mine that is, is an avid backpacker and, and I'm incredibly envious of all of her trips. 
Um, I joke that where some people may go to, you know, cocktails and, you know, for a hard al, go to rei.com yeah. to ease my stress <laughs> yeah. or just go there because it's the lifestyle that's like, this is the life, you know, yeah, that everybody yeah. should aspire to. Um, and I think it just, well, we know research has shown it just feeds us. It feeds the soul and our spirit, I think, in a way that nothing else does. Kind of the, the Mother Earth, you know, Father Sky, whatever, however we want to talk about it. Yeah. But um, I think it's it's critically important that we not lose that and that we as parents make sure our kids don't lose that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Dang, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, families are kind of like little teams, right? Like mm-hmm. you've been, you've been mm-hmm. working with teams for a long yeah. time. Um, do you have like just recommendations for for families out mm-hmm. there who are, I think a lot of what we're ta- what we deal with is like com- a lot of conflict around mm-hmm. tech use, but just like teamwork as a family yeah. and, and practices that that have been helpful. Yeah, for sure. And if I think sort of like taking it from the leadership lessons, right? One is they tell you it starts at the top. I mean, right? So like we will go into a company or, or mid-level management will we'll say, I want to do the dare to lead training. We want to be courageous. But I can guarantee you if the if the CEO is not willing to want to be courageous also, it's just it's not going to work. Mm. So parents, right, they need to live it also. And it doesn't mean they need to be perfect because we're yeah. not. But yeah. I think we need to also show our kids we are trying to do what we are asking you to do. You yeah. know, what we are, it's not just do as I say, not as I do. It's, you know, do as I am also trying to do. Let's all yeah. try together. So I think that idea that it starts from the top is important and parents need to realize that what they're smart. I mean, kids are so smart. So they know if we're just sort of blowing smoke and, you know, they know if there's a difference between the values that we say and the life that we live. Right. So can we as parents close that gap and not be perfect, but then have that conversation. Right. Which sort of brings me to the next one, which is this idea for the best teams have incredible trust because they're willing to have real and raw conversations Mm. and it's uncomfortable. You know, I can think of, like I said, my 17 year old son and some of the conversations that we've started having are not fun. Yeah. (laughs) They're awkward and uncomfortable, but it's brought us a lot closer. I think it's been helpful for both him and for me. And you just, as a parent, you have to suffer through those kind of awkward moments. And he needs to also, because one day I hope that with his spouse, like he's able to hang in there when the conversation is tough. So, and that's how trust is built. I mean, yeah. right. So from a team perspective, we know the most effective teams are real with each other yeah. in the good and the bad, you know, the pretty and the ugly, and they're willing to talk about it. And the other, you know, the piece is this idea of, can we suspend judgment and replace it with curiosity is a mm. big thing I always say to, to teams and leaders and, and how I think that shows up in the home as parents is can we be curious about what our kids are doing? Yeah. Can we be curious about the friendships that they are choosing even when we know they're not the best friendships or the best relationships? Can we be curious about why they're lashing out and talking back? This does not mean that we're soft and we let them walk all over us. This isn't without boundaries. Right. I mean, right? This is with some firm boundaries. Um, but it's also coming at them to say, gosh, you seem really irritated. You know, I, you cannot slam the door in my face, but you can tell me what's up, yeah. you know? Um, so there's ways to, to practice this ability to sort of be curious, kind of connect with each other with conversations and then kind of build trust and love as we go along. Um, so I think that would be, you know, with families, it's really the, you know, the family has a culture just like an organization does. Yeah. And I don't know that we spend enough time thinking about sort of what is the culture of the family. Um, 
and a cool article just came out. I'll send it to you and you can link to it. But it was yeah. about like 80 some percent of parents or something, a high number percent of parents say that kindness is the most important thing. I don't mm. know if you saw this. I article. didn't know. I haven't seen it. But then only about like 30% of the kids say that they even feel like kindness is present in their home. Yeah. So again, it's yeah, an idea yeah, that yeah. what we value and what we live out, often there's a big gap. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I think if we can be more mindful about closing the gap, kind of minding that gap between yeah. kind of who we are, who we want to be, what we say and what we do, that's a great way to kind of start. Yeah, that's huge. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of research around in terms of tech use, the, the modeling mm-hmm. of the parents is like one of the biggest determining factors yeah. of how the kids are going to be. Yep. Uh, it's huge. And I think, I think you spoke to something that is really important in terms of like, it's also being curious about what they're up to with, with tech or without mm-hmm. tech yeah. is an opportunity for connection yeah. instead of just like, you shouldn't be on that device, like right. whatever it's, you know, yep. uh, it's yeah. a conflict thing, but it can be with curiosity, easier said mm-hmm. than done for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's true. But with curiosity, it can be like yeah. really wonderful opportunities for yeah. connection. I'm not trying to follow the kids and I, you know, I do, I follow my kids. I follow some of their friends. Um, which then allows me to then say, look at this. This isn't appropriate of, you know, your friend or you. But also, like you said, get involved, you know. Like, so can I do a silly TikTok with my daughter, you yeah. know, and be a part of one? Or can, you know, can we encourage them to make fun TikToks? Like, so not to push them away with it, but to maybe engage and join them in yeah. it in a healthy way. Yeah. And then they are more likely, I think, to to join us when I say, okay, now let's, we did it. Now let's go outside and let's, you know, yeah. tournament. Turn let's go play frisbee, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, so because sure. they felt that, okay, all right, moms were there with me and now, okay, we're all going out. Yeah. So it's sort of more joining. Yeah. You know, we're more, more connected around it. Right. As opposed to just like transactional, like right. you can't do this. And then, so they're going to be like, I can't, no, I'm yeah. not going to do that. But if right. you do something for me, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just touch upon one more thing then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But, yeah. um, and we touched on this a little bit, but can you just talk a little bit about values and what, mm-hmm. in terms of the family unit or an organization, mm-hmm. you know, why are values important yeah. and, you know, what roles do they play? It's, it's a great one. And I think, um, well, two things. I think I'm, all organizations or most have values, right? They say they have values or, um, you know, they'll have posters that say integrity with an eagle or, you know, <laughs> perseverance with the kitty cat hanging, you know, kind yeah. of from a branch. It's yeah. But very few actually have operationalized those values into behaviors to be able to put them into action. Right. So yeah. we will say dignity or we will say integrity or trust, but then what does that look like in real life? Right. Yeah. So organizations and there's a that's a big part of the Dare to Lead work by Brene Brene Brown is trying to help organizations put behaviors to their values. How it shows up in families, I think it's the same thing for families to think about what is the most important to you as a family, right? What things do you value? And again, you talk about we value kindness. But the kids will say, no, you don't. You value me getting an A. You know, we value process and effort. No, you don't. You want that grade, you know? So I think this, this, you know, gap between our espoused values, the values that we say, and then we call the values of in use, our theories in use can often get really big if we're not paying attention. Yeah. And so the important part of values is when we have that awareness of what's the most important right to us like those are our values sort of the the three things that are most important to me i can check myself and say is my life being lived in accordance with these values is what i say is most important kind of what i'm living out if not do i 
one, need to change my life and say, oh, I really value family, but I'm never home with my family. I never meet my sisters and parents for lunch. You know, I need to shift that. Or do I need to admit family's not as big of a value, yeah. you know? So what change do I need to make to be in alignment? Yeah. And it's such a great, easy place to start in terms yeah. of self-awareness and then kind of this life in alignment, being your best self. Values are a great place to start because not that it's easy, but we can determine what's important to us. We can think about how we live those out and then we can make adjustments. Yeah. So it's kind of a great, like if you're going to start anywhere, start with your values, you yeah. know, and ask your kids, what's important to your kids? Do we know that? Do you know what's important to your spouse? Yeah. And they don't have to be the same, right. you know, but do we recognize what's important and can I help you live out your values and call you on it when maybe you're not so yeah. I can help you be your best self, you know? Yeah. That sort of thing. For sure. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's huge. I mean... Yeah, I think that's super valuable for mm -hmm. any family, any you know, whether it's your mm -hmm. organization or family, mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I could talk, I could talk about leadership <laughs> yeah. stuff and values and all this stuff sure. for so long. I will, me too. Um, yeah, I will, and I'll link some stuff that you sent me, and and um, I think there's some stuff about operationalizing values mm -hmm. by Brene Brown that we can put yeah, in the show notes for sure. and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I would love to. You know, I don't think this is the the be all for for leadership stuff so i'd love to circle back with you in a little bit maybe Absolutely. do a podcast round too but yeah um, let's do it That'd be great. i really appreciate your time and yeah. thanks so much for sharing your wisdom on the program of course thanks for having me awesome all right awesome Lori. Well, i'm just gonna close it out here so thanks so much for listening to the nature unplugged podcast please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on itunes you can find our episodes on soundcloud spotify stitcher basically all the pod podcast platforms out there. Be sure and check out natureunplugged.com for more information and resources. Uh, let, us, let us know if you have any recommendations for guests or if you have any questions or comments or feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, uh, see you later. <laughs>